0: hi and welcome back to How to Win at GCSE Science with me, Mr. Booker. Today we're starting a brand new unit in the last unit of Paper 1, B4 Bioenergetics. If you have any plants near you, or if you can see any plants outside, consider pausing this podcast to nip over and say thank you. Even give the plant a little cuddle if you like, because if it wasn't for those very plants, life as we know it wouldn't exist. Plants are unassuming beings who to look at don't seem to do much, however if we delve a little deeper we find that plants are chemical factories, taking things that they need from the air and the soil to build their own biomass. The name of this magical process is photosynthesis. The word photo comes from the Greek language meaning light, which is why you'll find it in other words involving light, such as photograph or phototropism. Synthesis is the fancy word for making something, so photosynthesis simply means making something using light. This is almost correct, as light energy needs to be present for photosynthesis to occur, but remember that it isn't used up as a reactant and it isn't produced as a product. To show this, when we write the equation, we write the word light above the arrow in the middle. So without sunlight, plants would not be able to photosynthesize and so couldn't survive. And without photosynthesis, we wouldn't have any oxygen or glucose that we need to survive. It almost makes sense that most ancient civilizations used to worship the sun, including Egypt, Rome and Greece, as without it there would be no life on Earth. To figure out the reactants for photosynthesis, we can think about what plants need to survive. They need carbon dioxide from the air, which enters the leaves via small holes called stomata, and they need water, which they absorb from the soil using the roots. The plant then undergoes photosynthesis using light energy and produces oxygen and glucose. So just think about that for a second. From simple water and a fairly unreactive gas in our atmosphere, and only 0.04% of our atmosphere is carbon dioxide, Plants can make glucose and oxygen, both things we need to survive. We'll look at exactly what we use these things for next time when we look into respiration. So put simply, the equation for photosynthesis is carbon dioxide plus water, then an arrow with light written above it, glucose plus oxygen. You could be asked to draw the symbol equation for this reaction, but you'll probably already know most of them. Carbon dioxide is CO2, plus water, H2O, then an arrow glucose, C6H12O6, plus oxygen, O2. If you are asked to balance the equation, don't worry, there's a nice easy trick to this. Simply put a big number 6 in front of everything, apart from glucose, and the equation is balanced. Now as you'll find out next time, plants can and do respire aerobically, meaning that they use oxygen to do this. However, the main focus when it comes to the products of photosynthesis is what plants use glucose for. It's not enough in the exam to just say that glucose helps a plant to grow, we have to be more specific than that. There are five things a plant uses glucose for. Number one is respiration. As we just mentioned, plants respire, and every type of respiration uses glucose to release energy. More on this next time. Number two, cellulose. You might remember from an earlier episode that plant cells have a cell wall. This cell wall is made of cellulose, which is a long strand of glucose molecules stuck together. This gives the cell wall strength, but also flexibility, which is very important for the structure of a plant cell. Number three is protein. Glucose can be used to make amino acids, which can then be used to build proteins. Proteins also require nitrate ions, which are absorbed from the soil by the roots. Glucose can be stored as starch. Starch is insoluble and very compact, meaning it's great for storage. And number five, glucose can be stored as fats or oils. As with any chemical reaction, we can measure the rate of photosynthesis by measuring it over time. As you'll know from chemistry, to measure the rate of a reaction, we either have to look at how quickly a reactant is used up or how quickly a product is formed. The easiest method for doing this is to look at the oxygen produced. One method for doing this that you might have done yourself in school involves using some pondweed and a lamp. You would change the distance the lamp is from the pondweed and so change the light intensity. This would be your independent variable. You would then measure the oxygen produced by counting the bubbles you can see forming on the pondweed, so this is your dependent variable. You would then try to keep everything else the same, such as temperature and ambient light. These are your control variables. One issue with this experiment is that bubbles of oxygen might not all be the same size. A really big bubble would contain more oxygen than a small one, but they would both still count as one, and some bubbles might be difficult to spot. To overcome this you could use a gas syringe instead to collect and measure the volume of oxygen produced over time. An alternative to this experiment is to investigate the effects of different wavelengths of light. In this experiment you would measure the production of oxygen, as before, but this time you would be changing the colour, and therefore wavelength, of the light by using filters instead of changing the light intensity. Leaves are green due to having a large amount of chlorophyll, the green pigment that absorbs sunlight, but in a physics context leaves are green because they reflect green light and absorb the rest. You can investigate which wavelength of light is optimum for photosynthesis to occur. Give it a go. I won't spoil the big surprise for you. There are some things that can limit the rate of photosynthesis. These are called limiting factors. I've recently started playing with Lego, better later than never. Imagine you wanted to build as many minifigures as you could in 10 minutes. You've got a thousand mini heads and a thousand bodies, but only 20 sets of legs. This means you can only make 20 complete minifigures despite having all the other pieces. In this example, the legs would be the limiting factor, as it is the thing that's holding the reaction back. In photosynthesis, the limiting factor could be one of four things. Number one is the amount of chlorophyll that a plant has, though this one rarely comes up in exams. The amount of chlorophyll a plant has could be affected by things such as disease or lack of nutrients. Less chlorophyll means less sunlight absorbed for photosynthesis to occur. Number two is temperature. If it's too cold the enzymes involved in photosynthesis won't work properly and if it's too hot the enzymes could denature. The other two limiting factors are light intensity and carbon dioxide. Often in exams you will be shown a graph of the rate of photosynthesis, then you'll have to figure out what the limiting factor could be from the information you're given. The graphs for light intensity and carbon dioxide usually increase at first, then level off. This indicates that for each one there is something else limiting the reaction, other than the thing that you are increasing, so whatever is written on the x-axis. The graph for temperature looks a bit different though, as when the temperature gets too high the graph suddenly drops and photosynthesis stops. This is because at high temperatures enzymes denature and so photosynthesis can't continue. Don't worry though, you don't need to know any details about these enzymes, you just need to be aware of them. So hopefully that rooted out any issues you had with photosynthesis and planted some good ideas in your mind. It's now time for me to leave, so I'll see you next time.